HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Okay, it happened again. It's Thursday, 1 o'clock, and you are tuned in to the Heritage Radio Network, listening to the Farm Report. Today's Farm Report is brought to you by Hearst Ranch. Hearst Ranch is the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. Since 1865, the Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of the central California coast. The result is beef with extraordinary flavor that's as memorable and natural as the surrounding landscape. For more information, go to www.hearstranch.com. All right, we are live uh, coming to you from the back of Roberta. It's another beautiful day in Bushwick, Brooklyn. We are on the line with Owen Taylor of Just Food. Owen Taylor runs their City Farms Project. And today we have him on the show to talk about the City Project for 2011. Owen, how you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Good, good. It's great to hear from you. Um, so let's talk about, let's, you know, talk about some chickens. All right. Uh, what's going on? You guys are launching a campaign through Kickstarter. Yes, we're trying to find funding um, to build three new coops this year with community gardeners across New York City. We already have some terrific applicants, um, and we, this will be our, our fifth year of building coops, um, and the first year we are doing it without funding. So we're looking for some support. Um, it, it's been a great program so far. Uh, we've worked with amazing folks from around New York City who've reclaimed land in their communities or who are transitioning their school, schoolyards into farmyards um, and want to bring in the element of chickens and up the ante with their farming operations um, to bring about food justice in their communities. So we're looking for support. Um, right now to help that ha- happen this year. So so to back up a little bit, Just Food is uh, a food justice organization. You guys basically work to connect local farms to New York City neighborhoods and communities. Um, the mission is, what, to unite local local farms and city residents of all economic backgrounds with fresh, seasonal, sustainably grown food. Now, you said this is the fifth year you guys have been working with chickens in New York City? Yeah. Um, we, we've been around as an organization for 16 Okay. Um, kind of working under the belief that a just, local, sustainable food system is essential for New York City to thrive. Um, and we want to see urban farms as common as skyscrapers, CSAs, and farmers markets on every block, and fresh food universally accessible to all New Yorkers. Um, but only 
let's say, five or six years ago did we start looking at chickens in the city environment. Um, and that's because there was there's this annual conference at Green Thumb, which is uh, part of the Parks Department, that focuses on community gardens. They throw a conference for community gardeners, over a thousand show up, and there was a workshop on chickens um, from someone who'd been in the Peace Corps um, somewhere in Polynesia, and people thought, why not New York City? Um, and so w- groups came together from around the city to figure out, is it legal? Is it possible? How can we make this happen? Um, and so we had support from Heifer International, which is a wonderful organization um, that just recently stopped funding uh, the Northeast of the U.S. So that's why we're looking Ooh. for funding elsewhere <laughs> now. But it, we started five years ago, started building coops, um, started in the Bronx, um, and most of the coops we've worked with are in the South Bronx, um, but we've also worked in Central Brooklyn and Far Rockaway, um, and have some great applicants from other places this year too. Okay, so when the project kind of got going, you know, five years ago, was it legal to? I mean, was it hard to find out if you could raise chickens? Were people kind of doing that under the radar? Was there kind right. of an existing community? What did it look like? Right. Well, it's you know, people have always kept chickens and other livestock in New York City um, since the beginning of the city. It's a city of immigrants, city of migrants. Um, and so people have always kind of kept traditions alive and uh, alive and uh, raised their own food. Um, when I started as the chicken intern at Just Food back in 2005, um, one of the great things I was able to do was go around and meet community gardeners and, uh, and some backyard gardeners as well um, who were keeping chickens and and according to most of them, they were under the radar because they didn't know if it was legal. And it turns out it has been legal and has always been legal to keep chickens in New York City, which is terrific. Um, last year, you may have heard we, we helped to helped with a campaign to legalize honeybees um, that was successful. Um, but we didn't have to do that with chickens. Um, and so you can keep as many hens as you want. It's a, they're considered a legal pet like cats or dogs. Okay. Um, you just can't have roosters, and you can't create any nuisance conditions with too much noise or smell or attracting rodents or flies. Okay, so that'd be like why the roosters are out, because they really do crow at the yeah. crack of dawn. They're loud. They yeah. are so loud. <laughs> so, so technically, you know, anyone with kind of the space and, and the know-how and the desire can, can start raising chickens anywhere in the city. That's, that's correct. That's I great. mean, you, uh, we recommend that you talk to your neighbors anyway. Because <laughs> it can create some serious tensions, if depending on their take on on chickens. Um, but you just tell them, you know, it'll be clean and quiet, and they can have some eggs, maybe, and they they're usually pretty won over. So, are, do you find people are mostly raising uh, laying hens, or are people doing meat chickens in the city as well? It's mostly laying hens. Um, I I know uh, one family who raised um, meat hens. Um, but it's really mostly for the eggs, and, and actually many people are doing it just for the fertilizer um, and also to, you know, increase interest in their gardens. Um, it attracts everyone from kids to uh, adults. Um, so there's a lot of different reasons people are doing this. Okay, so through the, the City Chicken Project to 2011, is you're, you're using Kickstarter as a launch pad. How much money are you guys looking to raise? We're looking to raise $9,926 by Monday, June 27th. 
Okay, and so if people want to to contribute to that campaign, they can head to Kickstarter and just search the City Chicken Project 2011, right? Yeah, I mean, just start writing in chicken in their search function on kickstarter.com and it'll show up. Okay. Um, and if we raise, you know, if we raise a little more than that, we may be able to do a fourth um, a fourth project this year. We had some really terrific applicants, and and we work uh, in communities that have that don't have great access to fresh food. And so this is really a food justice project. Um, they're communities that, that groups that have many members, they're able to care for them all year round, and they're doing this to feed fresh local eggs to their communities where there you know, previously weren't any available. And, of course, the fertilizer from the hens are increasing the production in their community gardens, urban farms, and school gardens. Um, so it's really had a big impact on the groups that we've worked with so far. Um, on so many different levels beyond just food um, and access to food, but also to the health of the garden ecosystem and the health of the community involved in the garden. Okay, so what are some of the costs involved with kind of setting up these coops? I mean, you guys have obviously issued uh, maybe a request from members or community groups that you've worked with to say, hey, we're, we're doing this project, we want you to be a part of it. Um, is there a flock size that you're looking to support with, with the Kickstarter funds or... And and what what you know once you get the funds, let's assume that you know you, you get the almost ten thousand dollars. Where is that money kind of getting parceled out? What 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 are the startup costs of of raising chickens? So for some of the biggest costs are the materials for the chicken coop. Um, we build coops that'll fit flocks of between uh, a maximum size of fifteen to twenty chickens. Okay. Um, depending on how we how big we build their chicken run. Um, and so that's that's a, a big chunk of money. Um, so that's that's where a lot of it goes. And the other um, the other money goes towards workshops. We lead workshops led by our Just Food trainers, all of whom are community gardeners who've come through our Chicken Project and also come through our Training of Trainers course and to enable them to lead participatory workshops. We pay them for their time and expertise. Um, for leading the workshops for our new partners. Um, the money also goes towards buying supplies like waterers and feeders and um, a startup kit of feed um, and also chickens. Yeah. Um, what about those chickens? I mean, I, I know I have a little chicken raising experience. I know that, you know, raising laying hens from, from chicks takes about six months. So are is that how most people are doing them, or are you bringing in kind of ready-to-lay birds? Yeah, we, we work with farmers who sell at the markets that we help to set up with community gardeners. So so many of the markets that – all of the, the city farms markets in our network, and now there's around 17, are run by community members um, – and they also bring in, for the most part, uh, farmers from out of town to sell at them as well to make sure that there's a consistent supply of, of local food. And so we've developed great relationships with farmers from around the region. Um, and so for the last, um, since the beginning of this project, we've been buying chickens from those farmers from out of town. We think we have a source of local, um, locally raised chicks uh, for this year, but I, it's too early to say. But uh, for the for the past years, we have bought from farmers who we know and love, um, and so the chickens have come from farms that where they're pastured and they're able to run free. That's great. Um, what um what what can one expect as far as egg production from a flock of fifteen to twenty birds? Well, each each hen in its prime, um, once it starts laying, will will lay about two eggs every three days. 
Um, so I guess you could do the math um, from there, depending on how many chickens people want to keep. But that that gets to be that gets to be a lot. That gets to be many dozen dozens of eggs per per week. Okay. Um, and gardeners, no matter what neighborhood they're in, are able to sell those eggs. Um, at a, at a good price, enough to support their chicken operation and then bring in extra income. Most of the gardens that we work with do not sell the eggs, but we do um, encourage them to do that if if they so wish um, through through the City Farms Market Network um, and through informal networks in their in their communities. Many will just give away the eggs to the members who help care for the chickens and to their neighbors. Okay. And the city farm, the, these markets that you're talking about, the city farm markets, these are outside the green market system, or they're like yeah, a, it's in addition. Different. Um, green markets is a is a different model. We our our city farms markets are all run by community members, not by staff of any organization, uh, unless the, you know unless it's run by staff of a particular community organization in that neighborhood. Okay. Um, and so we we support groups that are. Um, connected with an urban farm or community garden and are able to sell their own produce as well as connecting them with farmers from the region who would like to sell there as well. Um, they're all in neighborhoods, again, with uh, a lack of access to fresh food. Um, and we provide technical assistance in how to set up those markets as well as collective insurance buying options to make that much cheaper and um, helping them figure out how to connect with WIC um, and programs like that. Um, so, so it's kind of a training program and uh, a network people can plug into, whether they're just getting started or have been running community-run markets in their neighborhood for a while. Okay, so and then this is through Just Food. This is through Just Food's City Farms program. That's so right. you guys help help people set up gardens, and then you mentioned um, doing some training of trainers. Can you tell us more about that? Sure, yeah, that's another separate part of the City Farms program, and it's actually expanded to some of our other programs as well because uh, it's been so successful in terms of creating new leaders in this in this work. Um, again, this is from Heifer International. They gave us a training in um, how to lead participatory, hands-on, effective workshops. Um, and so we lead this every year for urban farmers and community gardeners who are leaders uh, in their communities and beyond and have agricultural skills to share. Um, it's a training that focuses on how do people learn and um, how can we teach in ways that are that is empowering um, and that really uses the experience of people who show up for the workshop as well as getting their hands dirty um, and learning by doing. So it's an intensive training on how to be effective participatory or popular educators. Um, and folks who come out of the training become Just Food trainers, um, and now we have around 30 um, Just Food trainers who are leading workshops in, in communities for free on growing food or on food justice or food sovereignty. Um, so this way we're able to get a much further reach in terms of what we're able to offer uh, New York City um, aspiring gardeners, farmers, and food justice activists. Originally, the City Farms Program um, offered material support and one-on-one -on -one consultations and some workshops, but there's only so many workshops and consultations a, a staff member or two can do. Sure. Um, and so part of this, the reason this program was, was um, developed was to recognize that there are so many people in New York City who grow up growing food or who have developed skills in growing food. Um, and let's tap into those resources, those community resources, and recognize them as leaders and build up their leadership. Um, so we're able to pay them a stipend 
um, for each workshop. We offer around 50 or 60 per year, and you can find um, upcoming workshops on our, on our website, justfood.org, if you go to the City Farms page. That's awesome. I know we had uh, John Amoroso, who I believe is on the, on the Just Food board on the mm-hmm. show a few weeks ago, and it was kind of fascinating to talk with him about the long history of, of growing food in New York, you know, his position as the uh, egg extension officer for Cornell mm-hmm. started in 76 working with gardens. And I, I think there's been a lot of energy around urban farming right. and a lot of press. But one of those things that, you know, was surprising to me and maybe to most of our listeners is like this is a movement with a lot of history. And there, right. there already is a, a lot of knowledge right here within New York. So, so much. We're going to take a quick break. Um, uh, We are on with Owen Taylor of Just Foods talking about farming in the city and chickens. service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Every Sunday at 4.30 p.m., tune in to Burning Down the House. Architecture is the laser focus of Burning Down the House, a weekly discourse on all things built, destroyed, admired, and despised. Each week, Curtis B. Wayne, your host, invites a posse of authors, critics, builders, designers, and other architecture fiends to reflect on various topics related to perhaps the most functional of all art forms. Again, that's every Sunday at 4.30 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network. Okay, we're back. You're listening to The Farm Report on the Heritage Radio Network. We are on the line with Owen Taylor of Just Food, talking about their Kickstarter project for this year, looking to grow chickens in in New York City. So, oh, and before the break, we were talking a little bit about some of the training you do through through Just Food and some of the information you guys use to get out to community members to help them become better leaders and have greater access to to food and, and food justice issues. I was, I was curious, you know, one of the questions that people ask a lot about growing foods in urban environments, uh, they're, they're concerned about safety, you know, the safety of the soil. And I'm wondering for chickens too, I mean, are, are these issues that come up for you or, or do you have kind of protocol for when people are starting a new garden or they're looking to bring chickens in, kind of how you ensure that the food that is grown or the, the eggs that are produced are safe? Right. That is something that's been coming up recently, and we're going to look more closely into eggs do, eggs from, from chickens uh, do 
contain lead if the chickens are living on soil that contains lead. Um, there's an uptake issue there. And so part of what the, the, the money from the Kickstarter project will go to, if it will be towards soil testing um, in the gardens that we're working with. And if they find that they have high, level of, high levels of lead, um, will go also to replacing the soil that will be in the chicken runs that their uh, chickens are hanging out in. Um, and so it is an issue, and I'm actually in very early conversations now with, with, with um, a soil lab and the New York State Health Department on conducting a study in New York City on, on this issue. Um, but the, the very limited literature review that's out there now shows there is a correlation between soil-borne lead and uh, lead in, in eggs. Um, so that's a concern, and anyone who's listening who keeps chickens or wants to should really test their soil, and if they find that it's contaminated, uh, replace the soil where the chickens are um, and figure out some other ways to create barriers between that part and the rest of the garden. Okay, got it. So so testing the soil, and and then that's really the MO. You don't te- test the eggs, per se. You test the soil. Yeah, I, you know, I actually don't know. I, I think I'll know more tomorrow after I talk to the Department <laughs> of Health <laughs> about creating this study. Um, you can test the eggs. It's possible. I just can't tell you how. How? Okay. At this point. But the, the soil is the first step. And if you see that there's a high level of lead, you, you need to remediate. So one of the other things we were talking about before the break is how, you know, how much energy has kind of come up around this idea of uh, producing food within the city limits. And I, I know that I've seen in magazines this very kind of high-end uh, prefab chicken coops. Are you familiar with those? I am. So what, what's the deal? I mean, that's not something you guys are using. No, we, we build our own design. Um, uh, we worked with uh, uh, a, des- uh, a builder a few years ago from a company called Women Build to design uh, the chicken coops that we use now. We've adapted it each year. Um, and so we, we build it. Those, those, I, I assume you're talking about kind of the plastic, the small plastic. Um, yeah, and like pastel colors, right. very shishi, <laughs> like um, fancy. So the ones we build are much larger. We build them for community spaces. So we, we have the luxury of being able to l- build them large so people can walk inside of it without bending down. They're easier to clean. There's a lot more space for the chickens. Um, so they're really designed for ease of cleaning and access, but also for a, l- a luxurious amount of space for the chickens. Um, so I think that those are fine for very small flocks. I mean, I encourage people to keep at least two or three chickens because they're social animals. Um, but for, for, larger, for larger flocks, I think it's important to build um, large coops and to really think about, are you going to clean the coop if it's, you know, shorter than you? <laughs> um, so that, those are some of our design considerations for for the city. Sure, sure. Because uh, I know chickens produce a fair amount of waste. So that's right, and you need to get in there and clean that out um, and add it to your compost pile. What happens in the winter? Uh, I mean, are chicken? Do chickens are they kept year round? Is yeah, it chickens t- are a year round commitment, year round companions. Um, so in the winter. You, you just make sure that you've built a coop that's for all seasons. Um, so they're fine in this climate. People keep chickens uh, much further north than here as well. Um, it doesn't require any electricity. 
in the city here. Uh, it doesn't get that cold. It, it, you know, when it does get cold, you need to make sure that the coops are insulated, that you close any ventilation, but not all the ventilation because it still needs to aerate. It still needs to have some airflow so that the ammonia buildup from their manure doesn't um, cause health problems for them. So it's all about keeping them dry and keeping them um, away from any uh, vent, uh, ventilation or drafts. Um, in the winter. And they they keep warm by fluffing up their feathers and holding in their body heat. Okay. Um, so they're fine in the winter. That's a common question, but um, I, I've even met people who, and I really don't recommend this, but whose chickens stay outside all winter and they survived. <laughs> I think that's more of a testament to how hardy they are. Definitely not something that I would recommend. As a practice? Yeah. Well, well speaking of, you know, hardy and survival, what is, I mean, what is the lifespan Ban of a chicken and kind of what's the what's the exit process when the chickens you know stop laying eggs? Um, what do you kind of counsel your your farmers to to do as far as end of life issues, the palliative care of chickens, really? Okay, <laughs> um, well they can live a, a long time. Um, they can live seven, ten. I've heard of chickens that have lived. 12, 14, 17 years, those are, wow. that's really extreme. But um, they'll, they'll definitely outlive their primetime egg-laying um, period. So many farmers, if you're buying eggs from local farmers who are in the business of selling eggs, they probably kill their chickens after two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- in working with the projects, uh, the city chicken projects that we get to work with, um, we, we let them know that we don't want them to kill their birds, at least during our first few years while we're working very closely with them. Um, But there are a few ways to do that if people are really thinking about production and don't want to keep around the old birds. I think keeping around older birds is great because they, as I've heard another farmer say, they they can act as mentors for the younger (laughs) birds, elders, you know. Um, And I think that's important. If you think about it, we, we keep these flocks that are all the, you know, they're all sisters and sisters and they're all the same age um how do they learn you know how to be a chicken okay (laughs) so there's a role for elders but if people um don't want to do that there's this great meetup group online that we started a couple years ago because you know while we work with very specific groups you know we work with people in low-income communities with a lot of access to fresh food who are in community gardens or school gardens or urban farms um there's so many other people in the city interested in keeping chickens. There's no one group. It's really, um, it really is every type of person. I mean, I think it's because it's in our blood. We're agricultural people. We've been keeping chickens for thousands of years. But that's kind of off the point. So <laughs> we started this meetup group for all those people who are interested in keeping chickens. Um, and now there's almost 500 members. Wow. Um, and they're all in New York City or, or the area. Um, and many of them are keeping chickens now. Um, and that's a place where people post on the message board, hey, I have 12 chickens I need to get rid of because I'm moving. Mm-hmm. Um, or, hey, I, I need chickens because we just built a coop and where do I get them? So there's this network for people kind of exchanging chickens. Um, I mean, there's, you can ask any question on there. Like right now there's a thread going about bedding, like what kind of material to put down in the run, straw, hay, coffee chaff, etc. So it's a great resource for people. Um, looking for chickens or looking to get rid of chickens or looking for answers about their chicken prob- uh, problems. Um, so it's, it's meetup.com, and if you just search for Just Food City Chicken, um, 
you'll find it. All right. So the the City Chicken Project 2011 is happening through the Kickstarter page, and that is to build coops that, that you guys will kind of sponsor working with specific community groups. But if, for example, me or some of my friends wanted to get together and and um, buy some chickens or look to build a coop, I mean, is there does Just Food offer kind of any sort of training for for everyone? Are there certain you know income requirements, or how how does the general population get access to your services or right. educational opportunities through Just Food? Well, all of our community workshops, which are led by Just Food trainers, um, are open to everybody. They're free. They're open to the public, um, and we we happen to be uh, offering a monthly workshop series on keeping chickens, um, and we're partnering with New York Restoration Project and BK Farmyards. Um, B. Ayer is a Just Food trainer, and she's um, one of the uh, folks who work for BK Farmyards, and on their uh, on one of the pieces of property they're working on, it's a New York Restoration Project garden called Imani Garden in Crown Heights. Um, they have around 50, actually there's a little more now, uh, chickens. And, wow. And... Uh, B is an excellent educator and is offering terrific workshops open to everybody. Um, on uh, I, you know, I, at this point, I can't remember. It's on Thursdays. I can't remember if it's the first or the. Th- Actually, there's one next week. So whatever, it, it, monthly on I guess the third Thursday. Okay. Just check it out on the meetup group. That's another good role for the meetup group. Is we put up all the upcoming workshops on there. Um, so if people join that meetup group, search for City Chicken uh, NYC. Um, you can see all the upcoming workshops. You can RSVP, um, see what the content is, and it's free. All right. So definitely uh, check out the Kickstarter page. I know that through Kickstarter, you usually offer some kind of incentive as, as people give. What are some of kind of the, the gifts of giving that you guys are looking at for the City Chicken Project? Right. Okay. Well, um, starting at $15 uh, or more, um, everybody who donates at that level will be invited to a party to celebrate the launch. And it's, it's an exciting venue. You know, I'm noticing we didn't write the venue on the web page, so I'm wondering if it's not public yet. Okay. <laughs> we'll hold off. Stay tuned. We'll Stay off. tuned. But Let there will be a party. A brewer, it's a brewery, so it'll involve <laughs> local beer. Awesome. Um, and so, you know, as you increase, you get more and more invitations. You can bring your friends. Um, we send out um, these beautiful city chicken note cards with photos of past participants in the project and kind of descriptions of what's going on, and you can use them to send to your friends. Um, we start adding, as it gets higher, we start adding in a lot of the, the resources that we offer, um, including our veggie tip sheets guide, which offers a lot of information about um, local vegetables and how to prepare them and just food apron and just food bag and, you know, a lot of paraphernalia. So you can T-shirt, get, t-shirts. You can get geared up. And just to be clear, Kickstarter only works um, if the full amount is raised. So if you guys fall short of that goal, you get nothing, right? That's right. So we definitely need to reach that goal. I'm really hoping and crossing my fingers that we get above that goal so we're able to work with more exciting projects this year. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Owen, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was great to learn more about Just Food and the Chicken Project. Make sure you check it out at www.justfood.org. Also want to give our listeners a heads up about an upcoming event, the Taste of Green Market. 
It's the annual tasting event that features over 20 of the city's finest and most locally supportive chefs and mixologists happening this June 22nd from 6 to 10. Uh, come. It's an awesome time. You get to kind of hobnob with the, some of the city's best chefs, April Bloomfield, Peter Hoffman, Mike Anthony, James Meehan. Um, and you can find out more at www.grownyc.org backslash Taste of Green Market 2011. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. This is Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. All of the trade papers are just buzzing with the information that Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, has decided that he is only going to eat food that he himself has killed, as in proteins. So uh, thus far, he's um, killed a goat, a pig, a chicken, and some fish. But he's going to start hunting, he says, so that he can, you know, basically be more mindful of what he is putting in his mouth and into his body. And um, to quote a CNN Money article, he says, This year, my personal challenge is around being thankful for the food I have to eat. I think many people forget that a living being has to die for you to eat meat. So my goal revolves around not letting myself forget that and being thankful for what I have. This year, I've basically become a vegetarian since the only meat I'm going to eat is from animals I've killed myself. And thus far, this has been a good experience. I'm eating a lot healthier foods, and I've learned a lot more about sustainable farming and the raising of animals. This has been Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Keeper. Check out a small clip from the food scene hosted by Michael Harlan Turkel, a show where food and art intersect. I think most recently you had a chocolate waterfall that had five tons uh, of chocolate flowing, <laughs> and you'd put on, what, a protective suit, walk through a waterfall, yeah. make your own chocolates within this kind of contained environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and most recently, a rabbit cafe. Yeah. Can you explain that one to me a little bit? Well, I mean, and this also slightly comes from jellies as well, because in England, everyone has these uh, rabbit jelly molds. It's the most popular mold. Everyone goes, oh, I had rabbit jellies yeah. as a kid. <laughs> and we've always been utterly bewildered by it. Why, why rabbit jellies? The only way to get to the bottom of it was to get a whole herd of rabbits, open a cafe with them, and have people touch rabbits and eat. Yeah. Um, so it kind of has resonance with uh, one, of, one of our favourite cookbooks, which we think an awful lot of uh, you know, modern chefs have, have as their dark secret under their pillow, <laughs> um, which is the future. Want to hear more? Well, tune into the food scene live every week, Tuesdays at 3 p.m., or you can find all the archive shows on our website or subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. Thanks for listening.